0: I want to tell you about a new podcast I'm loving from People magazine, People in the 90s, which takes you back to the days of everything from grunge to J.Lo and P. Diddy. On each episode, People's Jason Sheeler and Andrea Laventhal focus on one print issue of People from the 90s, along with the news that occurred during the week that issue hit newsstands. Guests include Tori Spelling, Paula Abdul, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And don't miss the show's Chasing Fabio feature, a weekly update on Jason's quest to land an interview with the elusive Italian-American hunk. Subscribe to People in the 90s wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everybody, I'm just popping in before we get started to let you know that we now have a Patreon. There's 5 and $10 tiers, where you'll get access to bonus episodes, show notes, episode transcripts, and full-length PDFs of tabloids from the early 2000s. In the first bonus episode, I've answered some of your Girls Next Door questions and revealed some juicy deets about Playboy that didn't make it into the episodes. So, join me, won't you? Over on Patreon, so I don't go bankrupt buying Girls Next Door DVDs. And also, trigger warning this episode contains mentions of attempted suicide and self harm.
1: Poppin'! It's like a dream come true. It's
2: like living a dream.
1: Hi, honey. It's not funny. But I mean, it,
2: it, it does beg the question what has gone wrong with young Holly? Honest to God, what is the problem?
0: Hello and welcome to season five of Lay Do You Remember This, where we look back on all the stories from Hollywood's best worst decade, the early 2000s, a time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. As always, I'm your host, Dara Lane. We resume our story of The Girls Next Door in April of 2004. Holly and Bridget had already proven themselves to be standout members of Hugh Hefner's ever-rotating roster of girlfriends. They were the only two that elected to have sex with him outside of designated orgy nights. Unlike the other girls, they enjoyed watching old movies with him and appreciated hanging out with his elderly friends. Despite the harmony the three of them could have lived in together, Bridget and Holly knew that they wouldn't be enough for Hef. If they wanted to convince him to get rid of the remaining girlfriends that they hated so much, they would need someone to join forces with who possessed the strengths that they lacked. And one day, the answer was dropped in their Brazilian waxed laps.
2: My name is Kendra Wilkinson, and I'm from San Diego,
0: California, and I'm 19 years old. Like Sailor Moon's wand, Holly and Bridget possessed formidable powers on their own. But with Kendra, their silver crystal, they could become unstoppable. And that is a reference that Holly and Bridget would definitely get, and Kendra almost certainly would not. Kendra was young, wild, and uninhibited, but unlike the other girlfriends, she wasn't mean and vindictive towards Holly and Bridget. She ended up being the perfect foil to them, both in real life and on the girls next door. Kendra is often cited as the reason why the show was so successful. Though Holly and Bridget brought their own unique traits and charisma, their perspectives were too similar. Both as a fellow girlfriend and a TV character, Kendra brought balance to this trifecta, thanks in part to her having a completely different upbringing compared to her two counterparts.
1: In Holly's memoir, she says, A woman who allows herself to enter into a situation like the one we were in must struggle with personal demons. I know I did. After making this assertion in
0: her book, Holly never really shares the contents of her baggage. In Kendra's memoir, Sliding Into Home, she shares, her baggage is on full display. She might as well be in the middle of the Southwest Terminal, crouched over her two free-checked bags, redistributing boots and curling irons, trying to keep them under 50 pounds. So let's start from the beginning and rummage through the dirty laundry in Kendra's suitcase like we're a pervy TSA agent. Kendra Lee Wilkinson was born in San Diego, California on June 12, 1985, to her parents, Patty and Eric. Kendra's father walked out on them the first time when she was three, while her mother was pregnant with her little brother, Colin. After that, Patty moved them to New Jersey to live with her mother, Mary, who we see in several episodes of The Girls Next Door. After Colin's birth, Kendra's father begged Patty to return to San Diego to try and make their marriage work which she does, but a year later, they again decide to separate. This time, though, Eric decides that he wants custody of his daughter. Here's a clip from Kendra's E! True Hollywood story. I think I was about five
2: years old, I was outside playing, and I remember my mom and dad were arguing a little bit. They were putting the pressure on me, like, who do you wanna live with? And then I was just like, I don't know. I didn't wanna hurt anybody. If I say her, then I'm gonna break his heart. If I say him, I'm gonna break her heart. What do I do? This was like the hardest decision of my life. I was like, mommy stand over here, daddy stay, stand over here, and I'm gonna walk on this crack, and whatever side I fall on, I'm gonna go with. And of course, I purposely went with my mom. I wanted my balance to be the blame of who I went with, not, you know, my heart. So I blamed it on my balance, but you know, inside I I knew it was my mom I wanted to be with.
0: As far as custody arrangements go, making your five-year-old decide which parent they want to live with isn't quite as bad as splitting your identical twins up at birth and never telling them about each other until they meet by happenstance at summer camp. But it's still pretty bad judgment, something that Patty Wilkinson would prove to have in spades. When Kendra was six, Patty's parents, who were actually divorced themselves, both decided to move to San Diego to help raise their grandkids. Eric drifted in and out of Kendra's life for a bit, but soon after, he disappeared completely. It's also around this time when Kendra began playing soccer.
2: Every kid copes differently with their parents fighting and all that. I think it was about a year after my dad left, that's when I found real happiness, and that was soccer. Soccer was a way to relieve my pain inside, you know, and to take it out, you know, just like, ooh, kick that ball as hard
0: as I can. Her love of soccer wasn't enough to keep Kendra in line, and by middle school, her behavior changed dramatically and she started getting into trouble. And not like regular teen trouble, like sneaking the occasional Siggy or Bartles and James wine cooler. We're talking San Diego trouble. Real deal trouble. The kind of trouble that drives a parent to beg, Maury Povich, help me tame my wild teen! At 13, Kendra began hanging out with a group of 20 year olds who lived in her apartment complex, who I suppose had nothing better to do than contribute to the delinquency of a minor in the same way someone surely did to them when they were a child, either subconsciously or consciously. Either way, they introduce her to sex, alcohol, and drugs. I was about 13 at the time, and there were some people that
2: lived in the apartments that I liked to hang out with, and all of a sudden they broke out this white stuff. In my mind, I was like, what's that? Is that cocaine? I was like, all right, whatever. So I did it and I started feeling this big ball of chalk go down my throat and I was like, what is this? Oh, this is so gross. Ew. So after that, I actually started feeling pretty good. So that was the start of my drug days.
0: Kendra started doing drugs all the time and skipping school because why go to math class and solve for X when you could just do X, You know, when Kendra actually showed up for school, she didn't just numb out in the back row. She made her presence known like the showman she is, like when she came to class in a bathing suit. It's bikini day at school, Kendra said to her mother as she left the house one morning. But before Patty realized there would never be a school sanctioned bikini day, Kendra was already gone. All the kids laughed when they saw me in the bikini. I loved it. The school obviously had a dress code, and as it turns out, bikinis were not acceptable. I knew the rules. I didn't like the rules, so I made my own. This stunt earned me strike one. Later, I was assigned a how-to school project. We had to teach the class one of our skills, so I brought in a baseball bat to teach the class how to play softball, because even though I was doing drugs, sports were still my strength. But my walking down the hallway with marker all over my body, my hair out of control, baseball bat in hand, freaked out some of the adults. Some of the other kids were scared too. I was a total psycho, and I loved when people were scared of me. As I walked to class, a teacher came up to me and nicely asked about the bat. She could have yelled and dragged my ass to the principal's office, but she was sweet. I was not. I yelled and screamed that the bat was for a project and nearly threw it at her. It took three teachers to settle me down. Strike three came when Kendra was caught bringing alcohol to school, and just before summer vacation, she was expelled from seventh grade. Patty was at a loss as to what to do with Kendra, and sometimes that meant just doing nothing, like the summer when Kendra took acid right before she had to play in a soccer game. She says in her book, quote, My mom drove me to the game, and during the car ride, the acid kicked in. Things that usually didn't move were moving, and things that should have been moving fast, like other cars, seemed to be moving really slowly. Once the game started, things got even worse. At one point, the ball went out of bounds, and I was supposed to throw it in. To this day, I'm not sure if I ever actually threw the ball onto the field. I just remember picking it up and staring at it, amazed at all its beautiful black and white dots. My mom was at the game, but she didn't yell at me or punish me. It's hard to say if she just didn't realize I was on drugs, or if she pretended she didn't know to make herself feel better. Either way, she kept quiet. I think she knew I was in trouble, but she was getting tired of yelling at me and trying to control me. For the 8th grade, Kendra attended a special school for troubled kids and graduated by the skin of her teeth. She was admitted back to public school for ninth grade and quickly fell into another crowd of older teens where things got even more dangerous for Kendra. By 14, she was doing crystal meth and dating a 19-year-old named Tony when he got arrested while they were together. Though all this drug use and risky behavior was meant to subdue the pain she felt over her absent father and who knows what other kind of trauma, it eventually caught up with her when she went into a deep depression. ended up, you know, becoming
2: suicidal and I started cutting myself. I had so much pain that I just wanted to die and um, I was trying... I, It wasn't that I was trying to die. It was like the pain took away from my pain inside.
0: One day, Patty got a call from Kendra's school saying that she'd taken a bottle of pills in a suicide attempt, which resulted in Kendra being sent to a mental hospital for two weeks. Over those two weeks, she was never allowed outside and was put into a padded cell and at one point she swallowed an entire tube of toothpaste after another teenage patient told her it's a viable way to kill yourself. When she was released, Kendra ran away from home to go live with her new boyfriend, a drug dealer named Mario. While Mario worked a construction job during the day, Kendra would pick up the slack and fill Mario's outstanding orders from their apartment. Sorry, that makes it sound like she was stuffing stamps.com envelopes with LuLaRoe leggings or something, but really it was just a 15-year-old selling drugs while home alone with God knows what kind of riffraff. Kendra had dropped out of school and her family hadn't seen her in months. Patty and Kendra's grandparents were so desperate to help her that they even called on her estranged father, Eric, to intervene. The plan backfired, though. After agreeing to meet with him, Eric walks right past Kendra, not recognizing the daughter he hadn't bothered to see in years. This heartbreak sends her on a bender that results in her hitting bottom. Mario had a bunch of people over to his house and we were all doing lots of coke. Line after line, I just kept going. Like I said, I usually knew my limit and stopped myself when I hit it because even though I was a druggie, I was still fearful of something bad happening. But that night, for no real reason other than the fact that I just stopped caring about life, I threw caution to the wind and kept doing more and more. Brittany was there, and she and some of our other friends were telling me to stop. I didn't want to listen. My nose started bleeding, but I just wiped the blood away and did another line. I was out of control. My eyes started rolling back in my head and everyone started freaking out. Brittany screamed, but she was the only one who really cared about me. I was shaking and choking on the blood that was dripping down the back of my throat. As she put it in her book, the next day was the dawn of a new Kendra, where she simply decides that she's done with drugs and quits everything cold turkey. She breaks up with Mario, goes back home, and the rest of her high school career seems to go smoothly. She's put into special education classes, and thanks to the extra attention, her grades improved. She started dating a nice enough guy named Zach, got a job at Papa John's, and then eventually is hired as a dentist assistant. But soon after graduating, she realized that her true interest was not in teeth, but in teat
2: story. So that? I start, so I stripped only for about six months. And when I first started stripping, I, I started on my 18th birthday, pretty much <laughs> small boobs, right off the soccer field, senior year in high school, ready to go. <laughs> I got my, you know, my old Halloween costume from senior year and I'm ready to put it on and strip and get some money. Cause I'm a free spirit. It had nothing to do with like, Oh my God, I'm so sexy. I just like, let's just get some money and move the fuck out of my house, and get this fucking life started. Right. Yeah. So I just went in the strip club, small boobs, Halloween costume, big ass, chunky ass boots. And yes, you are right about that story. I thought I was so cute. I climb up on the pole, (laughs) fucking flip over and keep in mind my boots were um, that sticky, like, you know, what is it called? Vinyl? Vinyl, Yeah, like the trashy lingerie type of Yeah, yeah, but they weren't like, keep in mind that rubbing against the pole, you're stuck on the pole. Keep in mind, like, it doesn't oh. let you slide down. So Got I was it. stuck on the pole first, okay? Okay. I'm like, why am I not moving down? Why am I not sliding down sexily? Is that even a word? I don't <laughs> think so. I tried to slide down the pole in a sexy way. way. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay and I'm stuck because my boots won't allow me. It's like glue. It's like glue. It won't let me slide down. So now I'm having to freaking like climb down the pole, not just up, down as I'm flipped upside down. Oh, okay. Okay. Now I'm envisioning this actually. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. So it's already like ruined. The whole sexy move is already ruined. So now my goal is to get down (laughs) off the pole. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty high up. Finally managed to find the ground and I'm like okay the song I have to do something sexy because the song's almost over I have to hurry up next thing you know I flip my hair back my hair gets stuck in my boot and I go I can't move (laughs) I can't move the song's almost over it's like two seconds I'm like oh my god what am I gonna do I'm like stuck my heel is stuck in my hair what am I gonna do like this is not good I just went fuck yellow I just yank my hair scalped my own head chunks of hair are on my heel I'm walking around getting my ones that's a go-getter so you still after hurting and your head's bleeding you're collecting I ran back in the little little stripper lounge I'm like oh my god oh my god did anyone notice yeah everyone noticed it was so bad like the people watching you dance yes Yes, yes. So you made money and then you got your boob job. Yeah. Then, um, and Kendra can dance.
0: In addition to stripping, Kendra put her pictures on a modeling website, which is where she was discovered by Mark Fraser, Playboy's resident artiste. Mark was a painter. His canvas? The female form. And what better way to enhance humankind's original work of art sculpted by God than by painting clothes on it? It looks like the model's wearing clothes... But it's paint. Their boobs are out, but also covered. It's subversive. Playboy was known for having nude, painted ladies pass out jello shots at their various parties, and Kendra was about to join their ranks. Mark submitted her photos to the mansion staff for approval to work Hef's 78th birthday party. Those photos then made their way down the hall to Hef's personal consideration pile, meaning he would be looking out for her at the party. But apparently, Hef couldn't wait. And while Kendra was getting painted in the gym, Hef snuck downstairs to meet her before the festivities got started. Hef comes up to me and
2: he says, hi. I'm like shaking, I'm like, hi. And I was just so nervous. Like, I've never met a celebrity in my entire life. You know, and then here Hugh Hefner is, right in front of me. I definitely knew at that moment, I'm like, I want to... Move here. I want to have a relationship
0: with Hef. The interaction went well, probably thanks to the fact that Mark gave Kendra a heads up that she should tell Hef she was a college girl because Hef didn't like strippers. For someone who considered himself to be at the forefront of the sexual revolution, Hef was prudish and judgmental towards sex work, as were the other girlfriends in the mansion. Another example of this is the treatment of Stacey Burke, who you might remember from several episodes of The Girls Next Door, including the season five episode where Bridget is the maid of honor at her wedding in Vegas.
1: Here, Stacy Burke, what's up? Her other furry friend. You're, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'm giving myself a bath, too. <laughs> Stacy used to be one of Hess' girlfriends, and when I first came to the mansion, Stacey and I shared a room, and I think that's where our bond started. Stacy is a model, but not not like a regular model. She kind of does. Um, she wears leather, and she uh, has a whip and a ball gag. I guess you call her a fetish model. Stacy was a girlfriend at the
0: mansion for a bit, and Isabella St. James describes in her book how she ended up getting kicked out saying, quote, Hef actually liked Stacy's personality. She watched movies with him and didn't cause any trouble. Plus, she was a willing bedroom participant, so Heff was glad to let her stick around. One day, Emma called me to come over to Leah's room. They wanted to show me something on the computer. Still shots of Stacy in a very graphic adult film. We also called Tammy to show her what we found. We couldn't believe it. We knew she had done some fetish stuff, but not a full-on porno. None of the girlfriends really wanted Stacy in the group. I thought she was an embarrassment. At the Grammys, she wore some latex getup. At the Midsummer Night's Dream Party, she dressed up as a horse with a gag in her mouth, and Hef had to have a talk with her about it. She was a nice, unthreatening girl, so she stuck around, but the porno was just too much. We didn't want that kind of association. Tammy said we should show Hef. We all agreed, and I was the one sent to get him. And without another thought, despite liking who she was as a person, Hef gave her the boot, though it was an honorable discharge, as she was still welcome at parties. Hef was only interested in the girl next door, and to him, a sex worker didn't fit the bill, even though the arrangement he had with his girlfriends was in the same zip code as sex work. Luckily for Kendra, though, Hef bought that she was a college girl and not a stripper, and he invited her to come back to the mansion for the more intimate birthday party that he called Casablanca Night.
1: Casablanca Night. It's just a very formal night, and we watch Casablanca, and then afterwards they do caviar and candlelight and a big Casablanca cake for Hef, so it's an event, not just a movie.
0: As you might imagine, dressing for a formal theme party was a little out of our girls' wheelhouse. But the queen of theme lived right down the hall. Kendra recalls in her book, Bridget was the one who filled me in on the dress code. I slowly met her and some of the other girls throughout the day, and Bridget seemed to know the most about the weekend plans. I didn't know what to do. The only formal affair I had ever been to was my prom, and I'd only stayed for two minutes before leaving and changing into sweats. I called Bridget, whose room number was on a list by my phone for some help. Hi, this is Kendra... I said in a slightly less of a little girl's voice than I would have once used. I don't really know where I am right now or what I'm doing here, but I was told I need to be in a fancy dress tonight, and I don't have one. I'll be right down, she replied sweetly. Minutes later, she showed up at my door, all dolled up in a black formal gown. Whoa, is that what I'm supposed to be wearing? Of course, silly. It's Casablanca night. You must I didn't know what to say. She took me to her room in the mansion, which was all pink and super girly. I thought it was cool, even though it wasn't necessarily my style. We went through her closet and found the perfect black dress for me to wear. Bridget was so nice and she totally helped me out when she didn't even know me. But Bridget's intentions likely weren't completely pure. This was a big weekend for her and Holly where they felt they had to help Kendra put her best foot forward So Hef might agree to welcome her as a girlfriend and kick out the others That Sunday after Casablanca night was the mansion Easter party
1: A cool party that we have every spring at the mansion is our Easter party We have a petting zoo and an Easter egg hunt and it's a lot of fun for everyone Happy Easter, Easter. how are you? A family portrait (laughs) I just feel kind of out of place on Easter. I feel kind of useless because everybody else has kids and I don't. And I'm just standing there with nothing to do.
0: Holly wouldn't prove useless that Easter of
1: 2004. She had a plan. Bridget and I had gone down to Melrose to pick out matching dresses for the festivities, including one for Kendra. I knew she didn't have a ton of clothes and was probably stressing out just like I used to. Usually, I wouldn't be so eager to dress like anybody's twin, but I knew how adorable Hef thought it was when the girls dressed alike. After nearly three years at the mansion, I was pretty attuned to Hef's preferences. I imagined him seeing the three of us together in matching outfits and thinking, oh, how cute. By getting Kendra to dress the part of a new girlfriend, I hoped it would help Hef make up his mind and set us apart from the mean girls who would most likely show up to the Easter event wearing jeans and bored looks on their faces. That wasn't the only idea Holly and Bridget had in mind. Though
0: the days of orgies in the grotto were long gone, according to Isabella St. James' book, one night, Holly, Bridget, and Kendra took Hef down to the pool and gave him one last taste of his 70s glory days. About a month after Kendra had been first introduced to the group, she was moving in and the culture shock was immediate making Kendra question whether or not this was really the place she wanted to be. The Playboy Mansion, considered to be one of the most debaucherous residences in the world, was actually providing the most structure Kendra had ever had in her life. She had a curfew and a regular schedule of events where her attendance was required. Even going to nightclubs was more like a chaperone field trip than a wild night out on the town. Half even took care to keep drugs away from Kendra. After she confided that the remaining girlfriends had offered her cocaine, he finally had reason enough to give them the axe. Although it probably wasn't that difficult of a decision for him because by their own admission, the last three girlfriends were mentally checked out by then and hadn't been having sex with Hef for at least a month. At long last, Holly and Bridget got what they wanted, a happy little family of four. The harmony wouldn't last long though, and the dissonance between Holly, the goody-goody, and Kendra, the rebel, would facilitate a feud that would span the next two decades. But we'll get into that in our last two storytelling episodes of this series. Lay Do You Remember This is researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Dara Lane, with assistance by Anna Tulenko and Rowan Hole. If you aren't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave a rating and review. You can follow updates on the pod on Instagram and Twitter, stream our early 2000s Spotify and Apple Music playlists, and download some Lay Do-inspired coloring book pages. You'll find those links on the show's Instagram. And please, if you like the podcast, share it. Tell your friends. It's true what they say. It takes a village to make me famous. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions, please email laydoyourememberthis at gmail.com. So, you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table, and I've put you on the list. For Lay Do You, Remember This.